everyone. Today's episode is brought to you by Fuelixer. Fuelixer is the sports nutrition subscription box built for endurance athletes and enthusiasts. Every weekend, thousands of men and women strap on their running shoes, hop on their bikes, plunge into pools to train for the next big race. From newbies to Olympic athletes, these individuals are serious about their sports. Spending thousands of dollars on equipment, coaching, and training, all in an effort to reach their peak. They don't know it, but they're missing something. The power they are after isn't in the fancy gear or in coaching alone. The real secret is nutrition. And when it comes to sports performance, what you put in your body matters as much as what you do with your body. Rather than shipping subscribers a random box of sports nutrition products, Felixer builds boxes using a combination of performance data from Strava, nutrition requirements, and taste preferences. Felixer sees the types of workouts you do and gets insights into the weekly training volume. Felixer combines this data with nutrition requirements and your preferences gathered through the Felixer survey. Empowered by sports nutritionists, ex-pro cyclists, competitive athletes, in a little math, Felixer's journey begins by doing the shopping, researching, and calculating for you, the athlete. Felixer makes practicing sports nutrition a personalized experience for newbies all the way to U.S. Olympic athletes. It's easy and fun to get started. All you have to do is go to Felixer.com, connect your Strava performance data, Take a quick nutrition survey, and boom, Felixer selects the sports nutrition gels, bars, chews, hydration, protein, and recovery fuel that fit your individual nutritional requirements and preferences. All you do is you choose your Felixer recommended box size that was calculated based on your historical performance data. With Felixer, you can unlock your potential and really get back to what you are most passionate about. Whether it's cycling, running, or swimming, Fuelixer fuels you. Now, let's tune in to the Fuel Talk podcast. My name is Pablo Quiroga, and I'm your host. And this is Fuel Talk, the show where we discover and chat with humans who explore data, nutrition, performance sports, technology, and the mind. On today's episode, we welcome Dave Zabriskie. He's a man with many nicknames, like Captain America, The Green Hornet, DZ, D's Nuts, and Sub. Here's a new one from us at Fuelixer, Lionheart. Yeah, I said it. Lionheart. On this episode, we have a candid exchange of words with Dave. In retrospect, we can say Dave is looping back to his passion for the bike. Of course, we all know he's a retired professional, road bike cyclist, time trialist, mountain biker, and cement shredder. We all know this side of DZ. And nowadays, the Dave we talk to 
is all heart and in search of something more than a check in exchange for watts. From Grand Tour Specialist to Life Shredder, Dave is famous for humor, stoic looks, his love for action figures, and just having fun. Oh yeah, and by the way, you might know this, he's crushed a few of Earth's top races, like the Tour de France, Giro d'Italia, Tour of California, Tour of Utah, and the list goes on. Today, we will dive into the life of these nuts. Where are you from, man? I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah, and then I uh, yeah, became a bike racer, traveled all around, and currently live in Los Angeles. Nice. Uh, so that's that's the story of my life, right there. Yeah, that's a nutshell. That's biography, huh? right there. <laughs> yeah. So you, you've been you've been on your bike for a, for a long time, it seems. So, what was your first experience with the bike like? How was that? Did someone just throw you on a bike, or you found it? What happened? I guess the earliest experiences would be, yeah, per, like maybe preschool, kindergarten, just riding around the neighborhood. Like I remember, I don't know. I remember my mom trying to like push me on a bike to, when I lost the training wheels. Just about, uh, yeah, just a lot of growing up was like a lot of uh, you know calling up your buddies and you want to ride bikes today and. Yeah. Just get out of the house and... Uh, yeah, then we just, you just go ride bikes around all day. Yeah, yeah. sure. Not like, uh, not going for distance. Like, you're just screwing around all day yeah. in the neighborhood, you know, American. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want to go back home and do your homework, so you're yeah. just outside. Yeah, I don't, yeah, didn't have much homework in Utah. <laughs> <laughs> cool, yeah. man. So, did you, uh, when did you actually get into... Uh, I guess competitive cycling like how was that you know how, how did you find that you know because not everyone really gets competitive about it so yeah I mean I had like a uh, a desire to be I don't know I guess a desire to be somewhat famous in some capacity I didn't really care how that would come about whether it be like uh, some kind of movie star or <laughs> something or another I just wanted to, I had like uh, something to prove to uh, it seemed like well, at that age growing up I had like a lot to prove to the neighborhood like that I wasn't like a, a bad person and so I wanted to grow up and be something and cycling just happened to be the thing that uh, I became most successful at the quickest and uh so I made like the final decision to stick with it in 1997 when I was 18. I went to Europe and got, I'd already had like decent success up to that point, but then I got fourth at the world championships. So I thought that was a pretty good result worldwide. So I said, I'll stick with it. Because at that age, also your friends are going to college and it's like, uh, am I gonna miss out on what normal people do and yeah you do miss out on it and it's a big sacrifice uh but that's that's the that's the hero's journey man yeah i mean i'm i'm i'm, ig I'm ignorant to like the whole journey of like going from just riding on the bike you know around the neighborhood to yeah. becoming a pro yeah so like what is that phase uh do you go through like you know crates and, and the category five to pro like how like how what is that like what is that process like like, what did you have yeah. to do? Oh, eventually, I mean, I... Who did you have to crush to yeah. get to, you know, a pro team and get paid for stuff? Yeah, well, I went through, like, a big rollerblading phase. Okay. Nice. And then I... 
so I, I broke my arm doing that, and then I kind of, I got a mountain bike that I would ride around the neighborhood. And then, like, two, I saw the movie Breaking Away, yeah. and then I read a magazine article called Can the Road Bike Be Saved? And those two things prompted me to buy a road bike. Nice. And then I kind of just really enjoyed being away from the house and getting out there. I couldn't find super long rides, but I had a geography teacher who said, you should go do Immigration Canyon. If you can do it under 30 minutes, you're a good rider. So I was like, oh, okay. So I went and did that, and then I was like, oh, I'm a good rider. And I just kept like, I had this idea in my head, I'll just keep, I'll ride by myself for a year until I'm like good enough to ride with other people. And then uh, in high school, I had, we were running in gym class, and the teacher, he, he like pointed at me. He's like, what do you do? Because I was like running laps around these yeah. kids. I was like, I ride my bike a lot. And he was kind of like a tri-dork or something. Not that triathletes are dorks, but <laughs> they can be. <laughs> and, uh, and so he was like, uh, I mean, really, that's like another big point. I mean, just him being there at that time talking to me and then talking to my mom like uh, recommended I join a local cycling club and that turned out to be something called the Rocky Mountain Cycling Club in Salt Lake and then uh, I went to one of their like meetings signed up to be a member and uh, and they they gave like a cool demonstration at like a back then it was called Brackman Brother Bagels and then Einstein's bought them but something similar to where we're at now but they pulled down like a projector and uh this guy named Steve Johnson, who was in charge of the University of Utah's uh, human performance like lab, like yeah. he was a physiologist. He gave like a presentation with paper clips on how to do an echelon, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> like this guy's block and win, and this is how this works yeah, and everything. Yeah. And I was like 16, 15 or 16, watching all that, and just and then they told me when the group ride was, and I. I messed up somehow on the time and I got there like an hour early and I was just waiting on the loading dock for like an hour for these guys to show up and then they showed up and uh, I had never done anything that long so I was fine riding out with them we rode out to a place called Kaysville south past Lagoon if you know Utah and I was fine on the way out and then on the way back my like my seat was too low I had like t- touring shoes and I had like a pack of gum with me <laughs> And so, I mean, they were probably laughing when they rolled up to me, but, uh, but even like on the way out, rolling out on like 15th, uh, it's in this, that bagel shop was on 15th and 15th, like 15th East, 15th yeah, South. Liberty Heights. Like I, for some reason, I didn't even, I wasn't necessarily a fan of the Tour de France or even cycling. I, I think like I had the magazines, I was getting into it, but I remember like staring at my front wheel and the, like next to the gutter and saying like, this is the first step to get into the Tour de France, like in my head. But in your head, you're yeah. telling that. Yeah. On that first ride. On that first group ride, and then, uh, and then they ended up having to push me all the way home because I couldn't. My body just ripped your legs. Yeah. Yeah. But I remember that night at my house, like something physiologically changed just in one night. Like my heart was just beating so strongly, like in my neck, I could feel it through my whole body. And it just, uh, those physiological changes happened very quickly for me. And, uh, like, within a month or so, I was beating most of those guys on that club. Yeah. And then, uh, 
and then they then they started taking me to races, and uh, and then the upgrade process takes place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, that's pretty amazing because the sound, from what I'm hearing, yeah. is that you didn't really have like I mean, like me and a lot of people. You didn't have anyone already in the sport. Yeah, yeah. right. I mean, so my it was like, didn't do it. Like right. you said, you're like, yo, I just want to be a, you know, a rock star, yeah. superstar. Yeah. And oh, I found the bike, and I totally just want to shred it. Yeah. And this is what I want to do. Yeah. You look down, and you want to go to the Tour de France on your first ride. Yeah. And you were some sort of like you had a capacity and a huge self-awareness of your own physiology. They're like, yo, I can, I can, I can yeah. do this. I like this. Yeah. I can push my body. Yeah, that's pretty insane. Um, yeah, it was it. So at, out of that, out of that group, did you have someone that was kind of like a mentor for you? Because it sounds like you have people like yeah, so there making was suggestions the, to you. But did you have someone like? Yeah, so there was the guy who gave that first talk, Steve Johnson, who okay. later became head of USA Cycling. Um, so he gave me like a, a VO2 test in the lab there, and then he put one of his students in charge of me, in charge of my training. His name okay. is Bill Harris. That's cool. And so they were training this teenager. Like, they were training, training with this guy. So they were That's training this teenager. I mean, after they gave me the VO2 test, they, yeah. they could see there was physiological genetic potential, and then... Uh, so I was on a pretty regimented training schedule through these guys, and then the race team actually had some talent there, like uh, Levi Lepheimer, he was on the team actually, and uh, Ryan Littlefield, like Jeff Wyatt, like Jeff Good, like these are some names you're not gonna know, but yeah. uh, but these were like a really cool group of guys, older than me, like people that I could learn from. And, uh, Did you hang with them a lot? Did you hang out like this, like just at a coffee? Yeah. Well, just like not so much. I didn't drink coffee till I was 20 something. Maybe. Yeah, I thought coffee was bad and like dehydrated you, so I kind of veered away from it <laughs> at the beginning there. I once didn't drink carbonation for like four or five years because I thought it would decrease your lung capacity. Myth <laughs> is going around, right? Yeah. Yeah, I had this uh, health teacher in junior high, and she said, just off the cuff, I don't even know if she was right or wrong, I didn't, they didn't have Google back then, but she yeah. said, like, carbonation can decrease your lung capacity. Yeah, it stuck with you. And I wasn't even necessarily cycling at that moment, but I was like, no more carbonation. <laughs> <Can't have that. laughs> yeah, it probably turned out to be a good thing, because then it cuts out all the sodas and things like that. It's not like I was drinking sparkly water. It's probably more like... Yeah, it's 16, right? Like yeah, crappy stuff. Pellegrino. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so then... Yeah, so there's a lot of good races there in Utah. Like, you yeah. can, they have these training races and then evening rides. So it was a good group of guys. And I was also working at a restaurant at that time. So I was just exposed to a lot older people than... I wasn't hanging out with the high school kids. Right, so, you know. right. So at what point were you you kind of knew or you maybe had a contract or like you know what what actually made it happen for you so that you know yeah so probably you get serious about it yeah so I was traveling around with that uh, team and we went to uh, I'd been doing a little bit with the national team my mom drove me to Colorado at some point to do something called a uh, I mean I was reading all the magazines and these newsletters because you get a license something called the Lance Armstrong Junior Point Series. Uh-huh. And uh, if you got a top three there, you could qualify for one of these talent camps or something. So we drove up to Denver, and I did a race. And it was snowing, and I was sick. 
and I like wore a, this like big ski mask in the race, and I got like second, I think, to uh, Mike Creed at the time. What were you feeling like going into that? I just had a sore throat, like. But, but like, I mean, uh, were you nervous about it? No, I just like. Was like. I just knew I had to get like a certain place to get yeah. to that camp. Like it was, uh, I just had to hit that benchmark. Right. So, so I just did my thing, which was like, I mean, my skill level wasn't technically I was horrible because I didn't know what, I, but strong, stronger than most, so I could just make a move and ride away from people. Like it wasn't, it wasn't hard, and I knew that it wasn't, uh, and so that's why I didn't really make the decision to stick with it until I, at the world level I had had a somewhat of a success because. I was like, Dave, maybe this, maybe you're not that good. Maybe there's just not that many people doing it. So, uh, <laughs> but anyways, so, so during uh, high school, I went. It's not qualified for that camp, so then I went to the training center, the Olympic training center, and it's pretty cool. Like you see the Olympic rings, and like somebody there's like, this is this is the first step to getting to the Olympics, and so the Olympics became a goal as well, and uh, yeah, I, bet. I really wanted to do that. And Did you have like a, a huge like family support at the time where your parents were like gung ho like no my go Dave go or I mean they they got lucky that I kind of just found all this by myself okay I mean my dad he was kind of yeah he was an alcoholic and like that was he was entering the last few years of his life there and they okay. were yeah my mom she's yeah anyways that's a whole other story yeah yeah but the. Uh, yeah, so then I, I didn't quite make some kind of criteria to go live at the training center and go to high school there as some of these other guys did, but it was probably better because they were too young, I think, or maybe just not enough focus to be away from home. So the crowd that went to the training center in an unsupervised manner, like, yeah, I don't think it was a good situation for them. They like they got into trouble with alcohol and drugs and yeah. like all. They just weren't focused. Like they were young kids, not thinking big picture. And I was, uh, I still had all these like little thoughts in the back of my head, yeah. like like I would sacrifice. Them. Yeah, what if? In Belgium one time, like in my above my bed, I wrote the word like sacrifice, like just, and I would just stare at that like before bed every night. Like, I'm just, I just don't think other... They just weren't like that. Yeah. Like, like some of them had the talent to continue on, and that would have been fun, and that would have been helpful for me, because when I made the jump, it was, like, all by myself, basically. Yeah. But anyways, backing up a tiny bit there. Uh, so focus is key, though, when you have yeah. that. Yeah. Clearly so what, what set that benchmark. Yeah. So we traveled to... We did a race. I think another big turning point was a race called Willamette. Okay. I went up there. That's in uh, Oregon. Okay. Close by. It's like right in that area where the Prefontaine went to college. The Ducks. What are they? What's that called? Yeah, Eugene. Eugene. And so he was like, that's a cool guy there. So I had like a bunch of like inspiration to be there. And, uh... Yeah, so I was just doing my thing that I usually did, like go off the front and like hammer these guys. <laughs> and I was in the like the winning break with uh, Bob Roll. He was still racing at the time, and a guy named Steve, uh, what was it, Ronnie Schmier, Ronnie Schmier. And 
I was driving this break and all this thing, and then I double flatted. And so I was out of the and I was out of the break. These guys right at the finish get one too, and uh, it's such a cluster of a race. These the organizer, some some car pulls up behind me. It was with the race. Yeah. And they did. They were out of wheels because it's like a bumpy. There's gravel sections and things. And they're like, well, we'll just we'll take you to the finish. And then they take me to the finish and they let me out of the car. They're like, why don't you just get out of the car and pedal the rest of the way and we'll just give you a, we'll give you a good time. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, all right. Oh man. Yeah. But anyways, I did win the time trial. I won the time trial up there as well. So. Uh, but anyway, I got like a top three yeah. overall, and there was some bitching and moaning from the people up there. Like, oh, but yeah, whatever. I mean, I didn't make the decision. That was the race, really, yeah. that did that. They were out of wheels and blah blah blah. And so uh, I think that that result got back to a guy named Roy Nickman, who was in charge of the junior national team okay. in Colorado. And then he, so like basically right out of high school, I went to live in the training center. And then we traveled around and did some more races. And then we went to Italy to train for the world championships in Spain. So what was was life like that? I mean, it was all just regimen, like wake up for breakfast, train, recover. Like what was was like a daily schedule? It was like all itinerary? No, like a lot of it you have to kind of, I mean, you're not constantly looked over like... And, and, then, and that's kind of what I, I think why I was good at it because yeah. I like to I was good at waking up eating and going riding bikes yeah. like, and then sleeping the rest of yeah. the night like, that's like all you wanted to do yeah yeah because I had a big uh, apprehension to the alcohol because my dad yeah I was like I don't want to be like that so while all these other guys are out there drinking I was like it was also a bit of an eye opener too because growing up I was like you're kind of like down on yourself like oh my life sucks my dad's an alcoholic and I'm the only one and then you get out there and like you travel a little bit and all these kids like alcohol's a big problem yeah I'm sure they're partying you know yeah. they're, they're on the bike yeah, yeah. raging and, and they got all that yeah yeah but I mean some of the kids I was with their parents were also like shitty like alcoholics and then okay. maybe not to the the perfection of my father yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah it's so like it that was just kind of like a bit of an eye opener like uh, I'm not the only yeah but then they for some reason they also like to they just I was like a zero tolerance policy on that yeah, for quite a while cool yeah. what was your favorite country to, to race in outside the US yeah, I, did, I mean... Do you remember your first one as a, as yeah, a junior? Yeah, it was Italy. Oh, was it? Yeah. Like, we just, we raced, like, a, what would be considered, like, a Kermes in Belgium with, like, these okay. Italian amateurs just yeah. warming up for this thing in Spain. And I won. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, these are strong guys, like, old, you know, like, old masters, Italian guys. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, that was kind of funny. <laughs> They, uh, they hung up the bike after that. Yeah. But I always had decent luck in Italy. Like, it's a nice country. But I mean, Spain is nice. It's like the California of Europe. But uh, early on, the national team they headquartered a house in uh, Belgium, and so uh, we spent a lot of time there. It's kind of a it's a depressing place to be. Like yeah. it's just gloomy and rainy and flat. Like, yeah. it's, that's like really like where 
mentally. Like, you had to be on a different level than a lot of people. So. And I tried to spend as less time as I could there. Yeah. yeah. But, so we would, we would home base out of there and travel. And then from, yeah, so then from the national team, back then they didn't have these development teams where it's the under-23 guys, and so we would, uh, so I had like, a, I was on Nutrafig, and then I was on 7-Up, and from the Einstein team, those are my next two teams, Nutrafig, and then, and that uh, Ronnie Schmier guy, like he was on the Nutrafig team, the guy from Atlanta. Just like, those were the best days of my career, really. Like, the group of older guys that I was with was, I was just like fun bike racing. Like, I loved it. Yeah. And then, uh, what, what made it what made it uh, more special than other teams that you were with? Yeah, it was like, just. Why, why does it stick out to you in your in your mind? It was just like, it just seemed. I mean, everybody was. Like, those guys, they would—they just loved bike riding, racing. They were doing it. It just wasn't at such a job-type level. Like, there wasn't the high, high-stake money involved, which brings in the drugs, which brings in a whole other level of rich stress. And stress. And, yeah, and it, all that stuff just takes the fun out of it. Yeah. And so, uh, did you have a, an agent or anything? Like, uh, how did, yeah, you, how did really, you go from team yeah, to team? So the, well, those Nutrafig, yeah, that was just kind of, because I was winning races, I was kind of, oh, so it would be going up I was kind of like level. a known athlete at the uh-huh. time, so like 7-Up, Nutrafig, they contacted me, okay. kind of, and then I was just, yeah, okay, sounds good. Yeah. There was not really any money there. Mm-hmm. I'd say no money at all. And then, uh, but I split those teams with the national team, and then that was, did that for two years, and then did a... Uh, and then when I was 22, I went to join the U.S. Postal Service. So, and that's, yeah. So that was really like, I mean, you look at these guys now, they're in these under-23 development teams. Like, that's the age I went to, the best team in the world. And I was like, and the first training camp I did with those guys was harder than any race I'd ever done. It was, I was like, whole new level. There. <laughs> what, what, was, what, made, what made it so, like, more intense? Like, uh... Yeah, well, because, like, I mean, for, for me, you, you know, you see documentaries and stuff, and they show a little bit, but, like, what what is it? Yeah, honestly, those guys, I mean, those, those are the best of the best. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, some of that was my fault. I didn't, well, I just didn't know that, uh, I just, I didn't think it would be that big of a jump because I had had so much success. Yeah, it had come not easy, but, like, it was almost natural though yeah like and then I'm in yeah all those guys were just as good or like way better than me so yeah and at the time yeah looking at the time I mean they were doping year round and so I was 22 I didn't know what that I mean I knew what it was but I didn't know they were all yeah so yeah, and you were involved. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I learned all like reading Tyler's book. I was like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I was only 22. Yeah. yeah. What, then, what, yeah. what were some of your uh, favorite races during that time? Uh, yeah, I don't. That first year was really we're just all blur of training. <laughs> yeah, the first year was a blur. <laughs> Suffering. Like, it was just really shitty because. 
I had moved to Spain. What part of Spain were you in? Mallorca or? No, I was down. At first, it was a town called Piles. Piles. <laughs> Piles of shit. <laughs> <laughs> they pronounce it Piles, but uh, Piles. Yeah, but the, <laughs> I, could, I just called it Piles, and I had a steady diet of Starburst and dates. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, but the problem there was, uh, I mean, like a huge mistake I made was uh, a guy who was also from Utah named Marty Jemison. He had an apartment in this town called Girona. Girona, yeah. And he was leaving the U.S. Postal Service. Okay. And he's like, has the keys in his hands. He's like, you want my apartment? And I talked to Johan, the director of U.S. Postal. I'm like, hey, should I take this guy's apartment? Yeah. He's like, no, no, no. We'll help you find a place. Like, uh, everyone's leaving Girona. That place is done. Like, and I was like... I was like, okay, they'll help me find a place. Guess I got that taken care of. <laughs> and uh, so that whole first year was like, so I ended up, so then, yeah, so they never helped me find a place. But he, like, kicked me down to these two other guys, Matt White and Julian Dean. And we lived together for a little while in, in piles in Julian's place. <laughs> and uh, Julian was going through some injuries, and he was, like, all angry. He was, like, walking on eggshells. Matt White, he was pretty fun to, like, go train around with. Uh, and then eventually I got an apartment. They helped me find an apartment, like, up the road a couple towns away. And But that was, like, real isolation. Like, those guys were, like, a half hour away. And those were the only guys I knew. Yeah. It wasn't like the national. It was worse than Belgium because there wasn't even, like, the other American guys in the house with you. Yeah. It was, like, me. And I was... I was like, I'm fucking alone. <laughs> How long was that for? Yeah, I, I did some big stretches there. Wow. And then, uh, but I finally, like right before that season ended, I was like, I, like, I got to get out of here. And I, I was on a ride with Matt White, and I was, <laughs> I can't remember what I said. I think I said, I was like, I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to move. And he goes, oh, uh, yeah, like when? And I was like, today. <laughs> He's like, what? <laughs> And I, like, rented a car, and I put all my shit in it. Wow, and, uh, just pulled the trigger. Because this guy in Gerona, Tony Cruz, his wife and kids, they, they're like, we don't want to live in Spain. So he had this apartment to himself in Gerona, and he's like, yeah, come live with me. And so I was like, all right. So I packed up all of my stuff in this car and hit the road, drove up to Gerona, settled in there, and then so that would be my next place for the next year after attention of renegotiating the contract for the next year. Uh, yeah, yeah. All the business stuff. <laughs> yeah. All the business stuff, yeah. Uh, cool, man. So what, what was your... Uh, early days. Yeah. Man, what, that seemed to take a while. What was your, what was your last... I don't think uh, I've ever explained it. Then. What was your last race? Like your pro, pro, like, you know... Send-off? Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't anything glory. It was uh, Lombardia in Italy. At that point, were you kind of like, you know, I'm just, I just want to. Yeah, I'm happy to get out of it. Like, yeah, I want to go ride my bike. Yeah, I kind of had an idea that that would be my last year. Yeah. So. Yeah. So from. See you later. Yeah. See you later, cycling. So are you you having? Are you have? Are you having fun now on the bike? Yeah. Like, are you enjoying yourself? Yeah, it's definitely took like a big adjustment period to even enjoy like because your fitness is so high at first like 
to get those endorphins released, you got to do big rides. Like, and I bet. Over the years, they shrink and shrink and shrink, and now I can get, now I can have fun in like an hour and be happy about it. Yeah. Like before an hour, I'd just be like, that's not enough. Because you like build such a huge uh, tolerance yeah. to it, right? So, yeah. So a big adjustment there, and then, uh, but I'm having fun for sure. Yeah. So it's almost. I'm almost back to where I was, like, in the, as far as having fun. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which is cool, because, yeah, I didn't want to, it sucked, like, yeah, I mean, if you ever watched that, uh, there's something, uh, there's a movie called Finding Joe, if you ever get to check it out, about the Joseph Campbell, and they, he was like, uh, it's basically the hero's journey, like, a circle of, you know. I don't even think I've completed the circle all the way yeah. in some of these things. Yeah, I, yeah but we never really until death hits us in the... Yeah, but... but you, I, so you get the, the freedom to explore different facets of cycling now, right? Which I guess you wouldn't have been able to do as a professional. Yeah, because it, is, yeah. And because it is so regimented and right. things like that. Yeah, it's road bike, road bike. Yep. Yeah, and you can't... Uh, and the training gets so specific that you can't go out and do whatever you want. Yeah, because yeah. we were talking in, in Half Moon how you were either gearing up or getting ready to do the, the Grinduro, right? Yeah. The Giro house in, in Northern California, where is that located again? Yeah, that's in a town called Quincy. Quincy, yeah, that's right. Yeah, but yeah, it was cool. Yeah. So, I mean, you wouldn't have Slept had the in opportunity a van. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't do stuff like that because you're sleeping in a van, like... And as, like, a super pro athlete, you're like, I'm not going to sleep in a van. Like, that'll... Sure. Like, that'll take away like 0.001% of my recovery yeah. Yeah. yeah so what do you think of like you know the new shift in professional cyclists having the, the freedom to kind of go and do different styles of training like when you like really hot topic right now is like the Morton brothers going off and doing their thereabouts or you see other individuals that are doing their training that's not necessarily regimented yeah oh Lachlan Lachlan he's a special case like uh, I think he's kind of getting that uh, idea out there more to people that there's more to definitely showing that to the hardcore racing crowd that there's more to it than just you know watts per kilo and yeah doing races all the numbers yeah right uh, but yeah, he's a super cool dude. You ever get to podcast him? <laughs> yeah. Have you come along too? What's it? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Have you met him? Do you know him? Yeah, we spent. That was kind of cool for me. The last, uh, my last year as a pro. Basically, the last few months of my career, we spent it together, racing together over there in Europe, and then uh, he lived with me in my apartment, and then I ended up like giving him the whole place, like, which took me. Which in a way was like, I was like, all right, I'm not going to, just going to really say that this is going to help him out as like, because Marty just put the keys in front of my face and was like, and then I asked somebody else, which was a mistake. Like, so, yeah. It was like a changing the guard. Yeah, right? so I was like, here's my, well, key, here's my keys. I was like, yeah, hopefully this helps. But, but he had some other issues that year, and, but, uh, or the next year. Or, uh, but he's back at the high level now. So what kind of ventures are you into now nowadays? I know you um, you have uh, DZ Nuts. Yeah, DZ right? Nuts. Yeah. 
Uh, which I'm itching right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I got these nuts. Uh, I got yeah, Floyd. Got Floyd's in Leadville. Floyd's so we got a, Ted, Ted has a new moniker for you, actually. Who? Ted did. He was a... Uh, Ted who? What do you mean, Ted who? <laughs> he's going to hear this, right? I'm going to grab one more cup. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. His new moniker now for you is, uh, is the taint, main taint of are you doing private messaging? Yeah, is that okay? <laughs> this will be a little, uh, a little intermediate stretch here for everybody. Yeah. Oh, Dave orders another coffee. Yeah. I feel like I need an avocado toast crunch. Do you ought to get one of those? Uh, I had one last time I was here. Did you do that? Good, yeah. The sea salt and chili flake on there? Is... Yeah. Solid. That's, that's and they get the toast like nice. I know that is at home recreation. Right yeah, now. yeah. The toast is like nice and crunchy. Yeah. And we're back, with Captain America. All right. Yeah, man, that's pretty insane. That's, I can't imagine the the things that you've seen. I've seen it all. Yeah. I've seen it all, kids. You know. <laughs> wow. Let me tell you some more. <laughs> puff puff has. So that time in the. In Indonesia, right? So talk about that. <laughs> Indonesia. Oh, yeah. What was that? That's a different. T- that's a different. That's part two, I think. No, no. Part two. <laughs> yeah. So that's it. There you have it. That's a what, well, talk to me. I, I want to know about uh, about uh, the Landers Leadville. <laughs> Flanders. <Project>. Flanders. <laughs> uh, yeah, Floyd's of Leadville. Floyd's of Leadville. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, Floyd Landis and I. We have a marijuana company in Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. So, there it is. If anyone wants to smoke, yeah, go to Colorado. It's medicinal. Yeah. Hit them up. Yeah, so we have. Uh, yeah, we'll have a wellness brand out sometime this year. Where we'll be making like a, a variety of products, yeah. like bars, protein. So how how'd that come to be though? I mean, obviously you guys yeah, race and, and I, travel together, you know. So there's a relationship. Floyd and I there. live together. At one point, Floyd was living with Tony Cruz in that whole apartment, and then Tony, <laughs> we, uh, one night, Floyd and I went to, uh, like a sports store called the Decathlon, uh, and we bought a whole bunch of gear, like a dartboard, and we cut out certain members of the, the team, <laughs> out of, like, out of, like, the team handbook or whatever, and we put it on the dartboard, and we were throwing darts at them, and t- <laughs> And Tony got like I don't know he got a little emotional and kicked Floyd out of the house, but I think there was other more to it than that. I don't know. And so uh, that one of the next years after that, I moved in with Floyd. Sure. So we lived together. And yeah, we just became really good friends and have been able to maintain a friendship throughout the years. So then despite he, a lot of stuff. Sure. <laughs> so, but then he approaches you with the idea. Was it already up and running? Yeah, so he had been in Colorado uh, working for another company, and so he was, he already had this in his head like years ago. So he'd been working on it, and then yeah, he told me to told me to retire. It's too dangerous. Like you're being stupid. <laughs> so so I was like, all right, <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. those recovery products have been in the uh, MMA. A lot of MMA fighters do that. Yeah, I think that the uh, yeah. So it's pretty big in sports, in, you know, in, in some some spaces. Yeah. So I think the bars would be a hit. Yeah. 
Yeah, it would yeah. be like a CBD blend or would Yeah, most likely so it's uh, easier to ship throughout the country. Yeah. Yeah, that's the easier easier way with the way the laws are right now. For sure. Yeah. And you don't have to go state by state uh, mail it easier. Do you need any beta testers? Yeah. I'd love, we'd love to uh, yeah, I'll give you some. have them in the uh, Felix or boxes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think we can, you, we can get a focus group going for you real quick, actually, I think. Yeah. Over here, you know. Yeah, lots of feedback. Reviews. It'll be honest feedback, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What do you think of Strava, man? Yeah. Are you on Strava? You got Strava? Before? Yeah, I mean, uh... I, I was an early uh, user of it. Oh, yeah? Like a really early user. And, I, man, I mean, I wish I had the, that data because, <laughs> uh, yeah, it would be kind of funny to compare times. Yeah. But anyways, I was, uh, I did a time trial in uh, Tour of Malaysia, and that's how Garmin found out I was using Strava. I can't remember what I, Anyways, they found out, and Garmin was a competitor with Strava. And they made me delete my account with with the threat of like we're gonna fire you. <laughs> and I was like, oh shit, I better delete this account. That is and, funny. Yeah. And there went all the data. But uh, yeah, but I told Garmin they, I said you guys should buy Strava yeah. instead of making the stupid power pedal. But uh, what do I know? <laughs> what do I know? <laughs> There's the keys in your face again, right? Yeah. That's funny. But uh, yeah, Strava's kind of cool. What, like, what do you think of um, I the, the impact of technology and cycling? Do you like it? Like, yeah, I think it's. I mean, definitely, uh, man. If you're having like a rainy week as a pro in Europe, that Swift thing has got to be such a help to like make your mind not go insane. Uh-huh. Like indoor training, I think it's come a long way. Which I want to just quickly say, indoor training, you're going to chafe a lot more than you are on outdoor training. you got to lubricate the tank way more. <laughs> it's going to be at least... Yeah. Quarter size, half dollar size. Yeah, half dollar, half dollar, silver dollar. You order, you order these nuts by the pint, right? That's all I wear. You have, like, buckets. All I wear when I ride. I actually, so... Um, the, uh, the the secret elves at these nuts actually came by the uh, the shop a little while ago and dropped off a whole care package for us on the way to LA and it was a uh, it was a great little collaboration with the shop so yeah. it was uh, something that I was very very appreciative of yeah. for them yeah but yeah it's something that so a good friend of mine a long time ago when I was racing in university. I was just kind of like, that's, that's a weird concept. Well, you, you put that on your team? You know, and he goes, let me put it to this way. Do you, do you drive your car without oil? And at that point, it hit me. I was like, yeah. hell, you're right, dude, exactly. Yeah. I thought it was, was weird, too, the first time I saw everyone in the bus, like, with their hands in their shorts, yeah. which is why I thought it would be funny to make a joke of the whole thing. <laughs> Some jokes can be viable. <laughs> in this case, it was. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That was pretty funny. So, so if you weren't cycling, if you didn't get into cycling, what do you think you would have done? Yeah, I don't know, man. That's a good question because uh, clean pools. Because you wanted to be a rock star. You think you'd been in a band? Yeah, like I don't music? know. I, I'm a bit of a song and dance man. I wouldn't mind uh, trying out for some like Broadway shows, actually. Yeah. Like I might start it down in the community theater level. Yeah, yeah. But uh, that would be fun. Like cycling, you'll move up really fast, I think. Like it's, it's still there. <laughs> still got that pizzazz. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I tell you, I was like the fastest fucking busboy this restaurant had ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> like if they, like if somebody else. I remember one like, you know, on the holidays they get that rush in the restaurant yeah. and like. 
it's cooking and like this guy didn't come in like my partner and I had to I was busting the whole restaurant solo and I was like I, I could do it I was just so like in the zone and, yeah Focus. and I mean I in the zone at bro. restaurants now like I see too like I look at other guys and like you know they're just doing the job yeah. but I was like so like just li- limitless like picking up knives just I like how was last night just so fast fingered and like <laughs> were you were you, were you uh, conscientious last night were you yeah I mean I would kill I would kill those guys <laughs> but but the uh, and I remember like distinctly this one time this guy like this table got up to leave and I was so like in the zone doing my bus job this guy gave me like 20 bucks man just like a a patron of the restaurant he's like I'm I've been watching you all night. Like, yeah, you're working hard. People observed us, though. And I was like, people watch. And I was like, wow, that's that's cool. Yeah. But and then I remember, like, I got to the point where I'd been there so long. I was like, they told me to train people. I was like, I was, I was training these older guys. And I was like, no, that's not fast enough. Like, <laughs> like when you shoot the silverware off from the glass, like you'd fold the napkin, like everything in the restaurant, like with just anything I could do faster, like fold the yeah. napkins, like they give you a stack of these. You got, I just, I want to do it faster than everybody, like making all the sets. So it sounds like you're, so you do a quantitative analysis on a lot of aspects of your life. It seems like. I guess. I don't know. Well, you, you, that's just that's it's, You always want to like. You're competitive with yourself. It's like you always want to prove something. I guess. Yeah. So what, what, ha- what happened at, at a young age that like made you made you be like that? It's, it's always something. Tying your shoes faster. Yeah. That kind of thing. I don't I know. I he was like, you know, you're, I'm sure you're competing with your classmates on like anything, probably. Yeah. yeah I, not necessarily. Like, it's but, more like what I can do, how you can do it better. Yeah. Like, and I see it in my eight-year-old. You see it in your kids now. Like, like he is Island Tiger. And I haven't pushed him, like, much. Like, I'm not, I don't want to be, like, a pushy parent. Yeah. But with him, I almost think I should give him something to focus on because he just has, you can just see, like, when we're out doing stuff, he wants to push himself. Yeah. Like, a lot harder than most eight-year-olds do. Like, if anyone's listening and knows the climb, Decker, Highway 23, and Thousand Oaks, like, he's eight years old and he just climbed up that and then like we got to the top and I said we should probably turn around he's like the the ocean's right down there dad so I had to take him all the way to the car and then climb back up that no then I made the mom come again (laughs) (laughs) so it probably helps with him being exposed to you know seeing you in in the professional racing right all his life yeah. Do your kids know about your, yeah, your a little bit professional cycling? Yeah, they know dad was like a dad was a pro bike racer. But dad was Superman? Yeah. Captain America, yeah. Captain America, right? But I don't, when did that I don't talk stick? too much about it. Yeah, who how'd, that, how'd that come out? That's just because you're wearing stars and stripes in Europe yeah. because you're the national champion. Yeah, but you went as far as to put the shield on there and everything, right? Well, like, I mean, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta go all the way, oh, you know? So you might as well have some fun with it. <laughs> So he's going to start breaking your records, right? He's eight years old, already climbing Decker. Yeah, man, sometimes, like, we're riding. So I've seen him in the gym. Up to this point, it's been like we're riding, and then we're riding, and now it's like, man, i got to push the pedals. 
like I'm, I gotta push these pedals. <laughs> He's going. Yeah. It's gonna, cool to see. Are you gonna connect him to like a VO2 test and see see what he's doing? I don't think so, but like we do, we get in the sauna together, and he like he's like pushing himself through the heat. Like he does. Oh man, he's funny. He is. Yeah. He, and he has it. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. Like we'll get in the car and not use the AC until like one of us cracks. <laughs> <laughs> in a way, I'm trying to trying to train them for uh, climate change. <laughs> Climatizing in the car. Yeah. Yeah. Like, wow. uh, I mean, they're going to have to get used to the heat. Tricks of the trade right there. It's like patented. Uh, what else? Man, so you got you have an eight-year-old and then yeah, two six-year-old. Six. Okay. Yeah, he's a little, he's, a little different. Yeah, he's talented, like super strong and coordinated, but he just doesn't have the, uh, at least not yet. Like he just kind of, like if he gets hot or starts to sweat a little bit, he's like, ah, he just wants to stop. Like, it's a special is that yeah he doesn't see the he doesn't see the point he's like yeah I'm good like I'll just sit here is he like mom he might be a swimmer I'm not sure if he's like mom yeah. mom's pretty special yeah yeah I mean as far as uh, good natured then like just nice yeah. like yeah. how'd you meet your wife he's like mom yeah she was a young girl in Salt Lake City going to a high school <laughs> I was, uh, you know, a few years older than her. She's in the same age bracket as my younger sister. And she had come over from high school to look for my younger sister. Right. And I answered the door in pajamas, like, because I was probably doing something with biking, like, all lazy. And, yeah. <laughs> I answered the door in a, like, his bibs. classic uh, Big Lebowski style. Sure. And at that moment, <laughs> bro. She fell in love with me. I was it does it. Was yeah. your hair like it is right now? Yeah. Probably. Kind of the, the wind blew as soon as you yeah. opened up the door. Yeah. And then she went home and told her dad, I found the guy I'm going to marry today. Oh. Then a few years passed here and there, and uh, I just knew her as like a friend of my sister's. Yeah. But then eventually we went out on a date. Sparks flew. And, yeah. yeah. Did you have to chase her, or was it quick, quick response? It was pretty, like, it was... Like, it's yeah, about as easy as it could possibly be. <laughs> That's perfect for me, you know, nice and efficient. Yeah, yeah I don't want yeah, that. It was like, quick, just like everything else. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the like uh, first race. <laughs> yeah, but um, fortunately, like, very, very fortunately, like, it, like, it worked out beautifully. Like, I got lucky. Like, so you had, you had to balance, uh, uh, like, how long have you been with her? You guys? Yeah, I, that's one of the mistakes I would say I made. Well, not a mistake. I mean, fuck, that's life. Yeah. Going into the first training camp with U.S. Postal was, I had met her that winter. Okay. Going into that, so. Yeah, so you guys survived, like, so I didn't go professional yeah. life and yeah. relationship. Yeah. Which so I didn't go anywhere warm that winter and, like, train and this and that. So uh, I was in Utah, like, in love. And <laughs> sure. That warm. Yeah, so whatever. But uh, I had already, like, sacrificed all this other shit. I was like, man. And my dad had just died as well. Like, like a few months before I met her. And so I was like, there were some really big adjustments going on before that joining of U.S. Postal. Yeah. yeah. So, so. Yeah, there's quite a few life transitions and, and, you know, multiple capacities, you know. Yeah. Location of employment and relationship and then family. Yeah. So... What, what what was really kind of the focus to persevere through all of that? 
with uh, what, the relationship? Well, just that, well, a bit overall, like how did you, that's a lot of, that's a lot for one person to handle, you know? What was, do you recall any kind of like driving force that just kept you persevering through it all? Sacrifice. Yeah, I mean, eventually, eventually she gets out of high school that next year of my racing, uh, so my second year on U.S. Postal, and she goes to uh, University of California, Berkeley, California. And uh, so I follow her down to Berkeley, and uh, that was pretty big, life-changing as well, because then Berkeley compared to Salt Lake City, so then it was yeah. like, big time. It was like I'm, I kind of had an apartment in Europe before I had moved out of my house in Utah, but then I kind of moved out of my house in Utah left home like my mom's house basically with a backpack and a bike and went to Berkeley <laughs> and I I tried to stay in her dorm with her but it was like an all girls floor and uh, it wasn't working out <laughs> to the communal bathroom yeah, yeah, yeah. it wasn't working yeah. <laughs> yeah especially her own roommate was just not into it <laughs> and uh so I ended up like on Craigslist renting a room from uh, this guy named Salah. I don't know, he was from the Middle East somewhere. He was a nice guy, but the room was very tiny. Like to walk around in the daytime, you had to put like a twin mattress up against the wall. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, and I didn't realize until I was there for a while that uh, like a, I read a lot of books too in those early years. So I read this book called The Way of the Peaceful Warrior. Yeah. Dan Millman. And, uh, and that was a big, like, that was a cool book for me when I read it. And I was like, and then, I, like, this one night I'm in Berkeley, I'm like, holy shit, that whole book took place in Berkeley. Yeah. And now I'm in Berkeley. I was like, flipping. It's like mind blown. Yeah. Yeah. And then, like, in Berkeley is just a really cool, like, that's a lot of history. Yeah, it's a lot of history. Like, just, just like a really changed uh, my energy yeah. as a person. I mean, I always had these things in me, but like it just kind of, it was a cool place to be at that yeah. point in my life. You seem you seem to be very self-aware yourself and like, uh, I guess, really high uh, emotional uh, IQ. So, I don't know that, that's, that's, that's my observation. <laughs> uh, not that, you know, but so why, why I'm saying that is because what do you think that has um, a trait of yours that that I don't want to say like proud of, but that you've noticed that you're happy that it's been able to develop over time, you know? Yeah, I think it's one that you, you can say that you would you would love to pass it on and like teach your son or hope that he, he discovers it. Yeah, well, I, oh, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's a blessing or a curse sometimes, like to be that aware, like then you almost, you got to learn how to control your mind, like, yeah. Yeah, it can make, it, you, make you a little yeah, crazy because you're always it like... It can going. get spinning out of control, so... Totally. Yeah, so I go at, like, my mental health almost as I went with uh, the cycling. Like, I chart days, like, the up arrow, down arrow, or, like, a level. Really? Okay. And then I take into account everything I'm putting into my body. Like, just if I have, like, yeah, just because that's me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because I, yeah, they say, like, mental health is, like, a, uh, a process, and I was, like, that's kind of, at times I thought that was bullshit, and, like, I wanted to go to, like, uh, I wanted to be, like, cured, like, 
I want to be happy every day. Yeah. But it's impossible. Like yeah. it's a, it is a process. Like it's a daily process. So. Very cyclical. Yeah. Peaks and valleys. Yeah. yeah. So, so I mean, yeah, you want your kids to be happy. So hopefully, they, hopefully they can just uh, learn to manage their minds and be happy. How's that? <laughs> Solid gold. <laughs> how to manage the mind, man. That's true. Also, you, you, yeah. you, you know, you know a lot about that, Danny. I mean, you know, you've been researching, doing a lot of reading about that. I've been, yeah. You know, uh, ego. We've and talked about, yeah, yeah, we've talked about this a couple times uh, on the podcast with my brother and the the book club that I have. Um, you got a actually, book club? It, well, so my brother kind of does one. Yeah. You, you want? Got, you got Pablo's so in on this. Yeah. <laughs> Pablo's in on this. He can be in too. Because uh, actually, when you were talking about um, the way the peaceful warrior. Um, yeah. yeah, but then so yeah. That, well, sorry, well, one, one side thing to that. Everything has like a bit of magic, as like the less you know about it. And then, uh, so I was having like a bit of a rough time there in Berkeley. So I reached out to this Dan Millman, and one way or another, I was like, I gotta get him. Yeah, cause I was like, I gotta talk to this guy. Like this is just too weird for me. Anyway, I can't remember exactly what happened, but somehow, either him or somebody through him got back to me and like. It would cost X amount to like sure. talk to him, and at the time I was like, man, this, I was like, this guy's full of shit. <laughs> but now, as but as I'm older, I understand like the guy can't go talking to everybody. So yeah, yeah. You know, but it makes sense now. But at the time, I was it kind of like uh, rubbed away some of the magic of the whole. I could see that sure. of the whole thing, but he wouldn't have known. You still, yeah. <laughs> we, I mean, you, I guess you still can't. Uh, deny that it had some influence in your life that yeah, book, for right? sure. yeah. I mean he had like two or three of them well, yeah. so do you have any others that you would say are kind of like monumental in he had like one continued on from there I think he went to Hawaii like the sacred journey of the peaceful there was the way then the sacred journey and then there was like another one where it was almost like a, like a how to type thing but, but that's a whole now that I'm older I see that's just a whole space of these uh, these people that you know, yeah. Yeah, call yeah. them what you will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they know. can they can be helpful. Yeah. You know, going going within is the uh, can be a dark place. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, and you get like all your everyone grows up different. I guess. Yeah. So your different different cards are dealt to you. Yeah. How to handle. Yeah. But. So are you, are you still doing uh, still doing coffee with your uh, your additive? We're, we're talking in San Diego. Was it was it actually Four Sigmatic that you were using, or was it? Uh, what was that? So we were talking about how you would uh, get a lot of energy out of like coffee with either uh, with a little bit of butter added to it or a coffee. Oh coffee yeah, I just used like the MCT. MCT. Yeah. But the biggest thing I found was the. Uh, I hate to plug companies that don't give me free shit. Sure, well, <laughs> we can change that. But uh, yeah, but that Onnit company, they have a lot of good information on their website. Okay. And they were saying uh, like to wait, to delay your intake of coffee in the morning to, because uh, if you drink the coffee right away when you wake up, like uh, it butts heads against the cortisol release. Sure. Like your body has a natural way it wants to wake up. Correct. And if you can wait a little while and then take the coffee, it uh, works better. Yeah. So Which was. Yeah. I like that stuff. 
So it kind of, it brought me to, so we talked about that. I mean, over Christmas time, I was talking to my brother. I'm not sure if you know about Four Sigmatic, but so they're based out of LA, but their concept is they utilize um, all the different uh, uh, adaptogen properties and and health properties with uh, with mushrooms like yeah. cordyceps and yeah that's the whole chaga ultrogen or what is it optogen optogen yeah, is used in, that's yeah, the first endurance but so this is actually you're using stuff like cordyceps with your coffee and then uh, so when you talked about using the MCTs or butter in your coffee then uh, that's that's one of the concepts that they yeah I was I was doing the butter and then like I got so phlegmy. Yeah. And it took me a while to put it all together. I was like, but the yeah, the dairy makes the me dairy. too mucusy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So then I just use the oil. Yeah. Uh, Turmeric yeah. is good to take with the coffee and oil. Oh yeah. Yeah. Throw some in there. Yeah. So that's man. Talked about nutrition. Pro cycling. Coming up the ranks. Family. A little bit. Sounds like uh, sounds like life, huh? <laughs> sounds like life. Yeah. yeah, man. There you have it. Do you have any uh, big events coming up this year? Uh, nothing like on the radar. Or, I mean, there's a few things on the radar. I might do that Rockwell relay if I can fit it in with family stuff. Uh, for sure, I'll probably do Leadville just because I'll be up there. Yeah, but events, I'll probably do Grinduro again, maybe, but, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a toss-up if I like to do events or not. I yeah. do, like, I do and I don't, I'm at, like, this uh, magical time right now with the kids, Yeah. and I'm not getting paid to go race bikes, so yeah. I feel guilty to leave them. Totally, man. Even if it's for a weekend, I feel like a dick to, like, oh. See when I get back, kids. Daddy's gonna go play bike yeah. for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> like, like before, it made sense. There's a job, but uh, to just go play bike for personal enjoyment is kind of bullshit. But yeah, yeah. But the uh, yeah. But I, I do try to keep fit with the idea of uh, like those long-term little seeds I put in my head. I'd like to do that tour divide with the kids. When they're maybe like 16, 18, oh, cool. or 18, 20. I think that'd be like an experience that they could take like through the rest of their lives. Like yeah. Dad and the two boys. Yeah. Cruising bikes. Seems like one of those uh, adventures, you know, like they used to do in some cultures where it's like go out by yourself and find that mountain. Yeah. And you come back a man. Yeah. Like, yeah. Sounds like that type of experience they're going to have with yeah. Yeah. bike. Yeah. Uh, Awesome, man. You know, I, I don't want to take up more of your time, but you know, I really, really appreciate you coming out. Uh, you know, I know you got a free coffee. Yeah. <laughs>